When I dropped out of college, I got called an idiot. When I went to one of my old bosses and said, I think I'm going to teach people to cut hair, and they turn around and say, oh, you, you can't do that. Yeah, I can, and you're not going to stop me. You have to live a life which you're happy with, which satisfies you, and you need to surround yourself with people who bring a benefit to your life. So, Jack, how have you been, man? Yeah, good, mate. You? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. What, what are you doing in your shop here? Uh, so we're currently doing a little bit of re renovation work. So the background on the video is not going to be the most pleasant. Um, these lockdowns are giving us the opportunity to sort of invest in our shops, invest the time in our shops. Um, and the last lockdown we did the Catrick shop and this time we're doing the first shop and doing the work on it that I've been wanting to do for a long time. So the, these lockdowns have been a, a blessing for us. Now, let's just rewind a little bit um, and talk about, you know, the origin story. How did you end up getting into barbering? Um, because as, as, as far as I'm aware, you didn't actually go to university or college or anything like that, did you? No. So I'm going to go back a little bit before that, actually. Um, go to when I was 12 years old. I was doing a paper round because I just wanted to earn a bit of money. And this paper round paid £14 a week because it was just one day and went to my local shop and said, look, have you got anything available? Just because I wanted to earn a bit of cash. And I started getting this paper round, but I used to live on the bottom of a hill. And at the top of the hill was where my paper round was, because it was quite a long road. So I used to have to drag this cart up to the top of the hill, do the paper round, come back, get my second load of papers. So I used to attach the, the paper bag to the back of my bike and I used to ride up the hill and do it that way. But eventually I got to a point where I hated doing it. And it was like, I'd come home on a Thursday and my papers would be set outside my house, ready to go. And I'd have to take them in. I'd have to put the leaflets in the paper. I'd then have to stack up my bags and then I'd have to go and do round one, come back, do round two, sometimes do round three. And it just got monotonous and boring and just not simply not worth £14. So what I did was I paid my sister and my brother, um, not not each but maybe one week my sister and then one week my brother used to give them a fiver each um and got them to put the money in put the leaflets in the papers and then my brother would do one side of the road and i'd do the other and then we'd have the job done in half the time uh, i wouldn't even have to do the leaflets because my sister would be doing the leaflets so sometimes i was sacrificing 10 pounds of my 14 quid a week to earn four quid you know um and it wasn't it just wasn't worth it but it sort of when I look back, and again, in hindsight, I look back, that was my first sort of entrepreneurial movement, you know? That was my first move in, in outsourcing the things that I didn't want to do to my sister and then doing the, the job as quickly as I could to earn a small amount of money. Um, and then I just got fed up with that, so I went to my dad and I said, look, I want to earn more money. What can I do to earn more money? And he said, right, get a bucket and sponge and go around and wash cars. So that's what I did. I got a bucket and sponge uh, and a chamois lever and... I walked around every single house in my village and knocked on the door and said, look, do you want your car washing on a Saturday or a Sunday? Uh, undercut the local garage, which was one of these big, like, pumped gun things that you used to fire at cars, um, just a jet wash. And uh, I used to charge £3 a car. So every Saturday I'd get up at maybe 6 o'clock in the morning, I'd go and wash three or four cars. I'd then go and play football. I'd then come home, then go and do a couple more cars. And then Sunday I'd do cars for five or six hours. And again, at the end of the week, I might walk out with 40 quid or so you know so i've jumped from 14 pounds sometimes four pounds to going to 40 pound a week and i got fed up of that because that wasn't enough and at this point i'm only 13 years old and i want to go and buy laptops and i want to go and buy 
phones and I want to go and buy all these things. I want to go to the cinema with my mates and it's just not enough money. So then me and my sister went down to our local town um, with a CV. I didn't have a CV. It wasn't a CV. It was just a bit of paper with my name on it, basically. And, it's all <laughs> <laughs> and I walked around all these shops and I walked around the barber shop. They didn't want to take me on. I was too young at 13 years old. Went into an outdoor shop, went into a little uh, restaurant and said, look, can, can I do sort of evening work? No, you're too young, you're too young, you're too young. And then I walked into the salon with my sister, and she uh, she actually went for this job. I didn't go for this. So she walked in. She said to the salon owner behind the till, she said, oh, have you got any jobs available? And they said, how old are you? And she said, uh, um, I'm 12, because she's a year younger than me. And said, oh, you're a bit too young. If you come back next year, we might be able to offer you something. And I literally popped my head around the corner and said, I'll do it then. And she said, well, do you want to be a hairdresser? And I said, yeah, I didn't at all. I thought the same as what a lot of people stereotypically did back then, which was that hairdressing was for gay guys and girls. You know, I didn't <laughs> want to do it. Being a young, straight lad, I didn't, I didn't want to cut ladies' hair, you know. I didn't want to wash ladies' hair. Um, but I went in. I, I went home, actually. I went home to mum and said, look, mum, I've got this interview. What do I do? Because I don't want to be a hairdresser, but I just want to earn money. She goes, well, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to tell them that you want the job. You're going, to have to get, you're going to have to do well in the interview. And she said, well, one of your aunties is a hairdresser. Your nan was a hairdresser. Your other auntie's a hairdresser, so why don't you say, well, it's in my blood, it's in my family. Uh, I've always loved doing my own hair, which I had at the time. I, I want the job. <clears throat> so I did that in the interview. They gave me a trial. I worked hard in the trial. They gave me the job, and I was there for about three months. And the salon owner, her name was Emma, turned to me and said, look, if you want to work here for a prolonged period of time, you're going to have to learn how to cut hair. So, again, I'm 13 years old at the time, you know. And they put a block in front of me, which was a, a doll's head, and, and taught me how to cut hair. And I remember that first cut, did it, I was like, quite like this. Did the rest of the haircut. By the end of it, I was like, I really like this. And, and that's how it just went. And I started cutting all my mates' hair, um, started entering into little competitions back then, um, had a full column of customers on the evenings and then on the Saturdays and then on, when I was in the holidays of, of older ladies and and younger lads that sort of wanted me to, to wash their hair, to, to cut their hair, colour their hair, ba all basic stuff, because I'm only still, at this point, I'm probably about 14 years old. Still basic stuff, but I've really started to get into it. And then I got to sort of 16 years old, and I got a moped, and I put all of my equipment in the back of my moped and just used to start going around all my mates' houses to start cutting their hair. Um, but yeah, sort of fell into cutting hair. I didn't actually want to be a hairdresser, and barbering never crossed my mind. It was only when I went for an interview in a salon and said, look, I really enjoy cutting hair. I don't like colouring hair. I don't like blow-drying hair. I don't like perming hair or any of that. But I really enjoy cutting it. And they said, well, you, you sound like you're better suited to working in a barbershop. So I went for an interview in a barbershop and I got the job. And then from there on, that's what I've always done. Um, but having hairdresser roots, I've been able to go back to um, and touch on that quite a lot, both in my education and in the salon. You know, The way we cut hair isn't like a barber. It's, it's very much understanding of hair in a hairdressing context. And uh, that's how we've been able to build sort of the reputation we have because having that hybrid between hairdressing and barbering is really important. The technical understanding of hair in hairdressing and the practical understanding of doing the job in barbering um, has been able to create like a nice fusion, which our customers seem to like. So yeah, it was a bit of a fluke really that I got into barbering and that I fell in love with it, but, and I'll always do it. Um, even if it's only one or two days a week on the shop floor, but this is the game that I love, and, and I, yeah, I'll always do it. But you've taken it 
beyond just being a barbershop, haven't you? You've got like multiple barbershops now. You're trying to look for another one. Um, you've got your mobile barbering academy as well. So then what spur do you want to just being, you know, a barber and then actually becoming more entrepreneurial and following more things and developing your your brand and your businesses further? So two things. Um, I used to work in this barbershop when I was 16. It was the second barbershop that I worked in. And they had this beautiful salon. Um, but there were a few things that I thought like that, I took, that I'd like to have in my own salon when I'm older, right? My own salon. And it was like they had a massive glass window and they had this nice reception area. And I was just looking at it thinking, I really like these ideas that one day I will have this myself. And, and the next thing was that at 19 years old, I got approached by one of my friends who just dropped me a message on social media and said, look, can you cut, can you teach me how to cut hair? And at the time I'm not an educator. I'm not, um, I'm, I'm an okay barber. I'm, I'm good at certain things, but I didn't think in any way, shape or form I'd be able to teach somebody how to cut hair. However, I went to his house, taught him how to cut hair over a period of maybe two, three months. Um, probably about seven or eight times I went to his house, taught him some basic things. He then started cutting people's hair. He's now a fully fledged barber. Um, and I sort of enjoyed the teaching side of things, even though I'd never thought, I didn't respect teachers at school. I was a naughty kid at school. I didn't want to be at school. I didn't respect education. I didn't think about that. But now education is my sole focus in my whole life. I will listen to podcasts every day and I, I spend a lot of time educating other people and doing a lot of consultancy work with salons and, and barbershops. But I never thought that I would be an educator. I never thought that I had the capabilities to be able to do that. And it just so happened that I enjoyed doing it. So then I went back to the salon that I was working in to um, the salon owner and one of my colleagues. And I said to him, look, I think I'm going to start teaching people how to cut hair. And they sent to me and said, you can't teach people how to cut hair. And that was it. That was the moment that I just went, you know what? Yeah, I can. I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's what I did. I went and set up my first company, uh, Mobile Barber Academy, which at the time it wasn't Mobile Barber Academy. It was just me going out to salons. And my first course was absolutely diabolical. It was horrendous. Now looking back. Um, what was it then, involved? I went out to a salon. They gave me a couple of models. I, I said to them, look, I need you to provide me with models. It was in Norfolk. Um, and I went there. I, I had these models. I did a couple of haircuts, talking about what I was doing in the haircuts, but my technical terms weren't correct. My delivery was shocking. Um, the haircuts weren't amazing. I felt under pressure. It wasn't, it wasn't anywhere near like what the courses are now. Uh, and then over time, that sort of evolved into Mobile Barber Academy, you know? Um, but that's what sort of, me working in that salon and seeing that beautiful salon going, you know what, one day I want this for me. And then somebody challenging me, somebody saying, you can't do that. And me going, you know what, I'm going to prove you wrong. And that's what I've been like my whole life. And when somebody says you can't do that, or that's a stupid idea, my, my mind goes to, I'm going to prove you wrong. It's a competitive nature that was installed in me from a very young age, you know? So that's where it came from. When you talk about your first course or, Probably your second and third, they, they they weren't that good, I'm guessing. Um, no. How long did it take for you to realize that they weren't very good or did you know it at, at the time? Instantly, instantly. I, when I was delivering the course, I was like, oh my God, this is rubbish. Like, I'm so rubbish. Like, I hope they don't feel like I've mugged them off because I, I charged them £300 for the day. Oh my goodness. Um, which, which, was, which was nothing at the time. Like now, looking back, it's nothing really because... When I, when I was working in the salon, if I was self-employed in the salon at the time, so I might have been putting in £200, £210. 
Um, then I'm traveling to the location to deliver the course. Then I've got to take into consideration my fuel costs. You know, yeah. it's, it, soon that, that 300 pounds starts to dwindle away. Um, but I, it was really bad. I felt really bad at the time. I was constantly saying, oh, is that okay? Is that okay? Are you happy? Are you happy? Um, because I didn't have the confidence in myself doing it. So I went, I sort of went away. I still delivered a few courses in this time, but I went away and I studied and I, I learned. Um, I watched a lot of public speaking videos. I watched a lot of educational videos within hairdressing. I started to write a bit of a curriculum, almost like a script for the day, um, planned out the courses, went to a couple of courses myself and sort of took little bits from each course and developed it into what it is now, which is a very precise, concise, well-delivered, uh, deeply theoretical, um, fantastic practical delivery, like everything that I want from my courses, you know, everything that I could imagine one of my courses being. But yeah, no, instantly I learned that it was rubbish. Not through anything, anybody saying that it was rubbish, not for anybody like saying anything negative to me, but my own self-criticism that I was looking at it thinking, this is shocking, this is poor, this is not the way it should be done. Um, and I went away and addressed that and then eventually evolved into being Mobile Barber Academy. So. When you talk about not being very confident, um, mm. and now you're sat here and you're very confident, very charismatic, you know, quite persuasive. You've got me to buy a few of your products in the past, so, you know, you're doing well. Um, how did you develop that confidence? Because I think a lot of people, especially young people like myself, um, or around my age, they, they struggle with the confidence bit. They struggle to be um, secure enough in what they're talking about or what they're pitching, what they're selling, whatever it is, to kind of be like, yeah, this is, this is good enough. So I think when I was younger, I sort of had a bit of an arrogance about me in the terms of like, I always thought I was better than what I was. You know, when playing football, um, I wouldn't ever pass the ball. You know, I had no respect for teamwork. I had no respect for... You were that sort um, of player. Yeah, yeah, I, I was. And, and do you know what? I don't mind saying it now, like looking back. I had an arrogance. I had a, a, almost a, an unprofound, unproven confidence in what I was doing, even though I know that I could have been better. And I know that working as a team is so much better than, than working as an individual. However, as, as I sort of grew up, I started to become a little bit more... Um, don't get me wrong, I'm still confident in what I do. I still will back myself over anything else. Um, and I'll always want to win. And I think that was that is the thing that has turned it from being arrogance into confidence is because, because I always backed myself to win in everything that I was doing, whether it was football, whether it was I'm going to do the best haircut I can do, I'm going to be better than the next person who stood next to me, partnered with the fact that I went away to this, these courses and, and got a bit of a confidence hit that I, I went, you know what, if I'm going to deliver these courses the way they should be done, if I'm going to deliver the best courses out there, that winning sort of mentality, if I'm going to deliver the best courses, then I need to know what I'm talking about. So I went away and studied, and I studied for two years. At the time, I was living at my mate's house, and for two years, I would finish work. I would then go to work in a bar in the evening. I'd then go home and study for two hours, three hours. Dropped out of college when I was 16. Um, went, I, couldn't get, I couldn't get on with the, the tutor. Like I said before, I had no respect for the education system in any way, shape, or form. And I felt like I could teach myself so much more than what they could teach me. So I went away. I studied. I watched videos. Um, religiously I then built the website and launched the company totally differently did it in a different way felt like the courses that I was then delivering 
were good courses. And every single time that I left a course, I realized there were things that I could improve in one aspect or another. And I went away and did that. I improved it. Um, I systemized it. So I wrote it all down, wrote the course curriculum. We've now got course curriculum, which is over 200 pages long. And bear in mind, these courses that we deliver are one-day courses or two-day courses. It needs to be in a way that everybody understands. It needs to be in a way that is theoretically correct. It needs to be a way that is practically well-delivered. It's, it's super important that the education that you are delivering is easy to be or, or easy to be absorbed by everybody. Um, that there isn't an I hate it when I see people delivering courses and they are arrogant about what they're doing. Like this is the best way to do it. This is the way I do it, and this is the only way it should be done. That's not the case at all. There's many ways to skin a cat. You know, there's many ways you can do a haircut. There's many ways you can approach a haircut. You'll see when I cut your hair that. I might start on the top one day or I might start on the sides the next or the next time I cut it, you know, there's never um, necessarily a routine to the way I do it. It's depending on what you want at the end of it. It's depending on how long your hair is when you walk through the door. Every single service is tailored to you as uh, an individual that is sat in the chair. Um, so getting back to the question is, is that where do I get the confidence from or, or what changed from being not very confident in what I do to being confident in what I do? experience, uh, education, knowledge, these things that allow me now to be confident in what I do and I will not be then shaken by anybody even if they put me under pressure because when you deliver when you deliver a course or when you do something, you can almost segue into lots of different things, you know? If somebody asks me one question, I sort of know what the next question is gonna be because I've been doing it for that long now. Um, but confidence comes over a period of time and, and comes with hard work and that's as simple as that. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you know what you're talking about, then I guess you're you're automatically going to feel like well, it it makes a whole lot more sense to you, and you don't feel like you're doubting yourself as much. I guess. Um, yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. Um, with with the self criticism thing. Yeah. Can you can you go through in a little bit more detail as to how you do that? How you criticize your own work and how you kind of put aside your pride and manage to come up with ways of improving um, upon things that you've already made because it's easy to kind of have these rose-tinted glasses on and be like oh I made it it's okay how do you put that kind of aside and what's the process that you kind of go through to make uh, make your things better I think it all starts with roots for one like it's a mentality thing to be a, to want to improve and want to become better is because you want to be the best or you want to be a winner. In my opinion, anyway, it's, it's maybe some people don't want to be the best. Some people are quite happy being um, number two or number three. But for me, I've I've always from a young age ha had it installed in me from a young age that I have to win. Um, and this come from my dad. And there's many things, negative things about about my dad, but there was a couple of positive things that have stayed with me forever. And the fact that um, having that winning mentality and having the work ethic you know working hard uh, not letting anybody outwork you these are things that i picked up from him which are super important but i think it comes down to wanting to be able to be the best at what you do you know um it's not enough to have the most customers i want all of the customers it's not enough to become come second place in the competition i want to win the competition i want to be the best i can be and I want that to be the better, better than anybody else, you know, and the self it's it's not necessarily self doubt or anything like that. It's, it's self constructive criticism. 
looking at something and going, you know what, how can I or we as a team in, in the salons in particular improve on that for the customers so that we have more customers coming through the door than anybody else? How can we improve on delivering that haircut so that the haircuts are better than anybody else? You know, that makes us a winner, that makes us number one. Um, in terms of myself, it's that, that undying work ethic and the winning mentality comes from how I was raised and how it, nobody could be better than my dad. Nobody could um, outdo him. Nobody could be stronger than him. Nobody could make more money than him, you know? And, and that was like, a lot of people would see that as maybe a negative, but for me, that was something that was sort of drilled into me at a young age and that'll always be the case. For me, I want, I want to be the best at what we do. I want us as a company to be known throughout the whole of North Yorkshire and if not the country, and I want us to be the best at what we do. Um, and you have to constantly look at the numbers, constantly look at the data that is given to you, constantly look at how you're delivering the service, your customer reviews, and it kills us every single time we get um, a negative comment or it kills us where we get some uh, time where we can't satisfy a customer. And you have to improve on that and you have to want to be better because, you know, all it's going to take one day is a better salon to open up in our towns, a better, more reputationable salon to open up in our town that that has a, a better reputation, that has better skills than us, that, that can deliver better haircuts, that offers a better service. And then all of a sudden we become second best and then we're fighting against them and we have to try and step our game up. But if we're constantly wanting to improve our own game, in my opinion, we're, we're top of the town, you know, and we want to constantly improve so that nobody can catch us. And that's always going to be my mentality and it always has been my mentality is that I want to be the best at every single thing I do and I want our companies to be the best at what they do. So where, where do you think most small businesses go wrong then? Because you seem to have got it down. Um, regardless of everything I've said there, 90% of businesses will fail in the first two years. 95% uh, of businesses will fail within the first five years. And the reason why people fail is because they don't know their numbers. And we are actually a prime example of that, that scenario. Uh, we very nearly went out of business a few times. Um, which you may not know about. Uh, but the reason why we didn't is because I was never brought up uh, understanding money. I was never brought up understanding how to look after money, spend money wisely. Um, I had never had any business education. I never understood um, taxes. I never understood any of this stuff Like when I first set up my business. But I set up my, bus my business, my first business, uh, back when I was 19 years old because I didn't want to listen to anybody else. I didn't want to listen to what other people were telling me to do. Um, we touched on this beforehand. Like I wanted to create something for me for my life and therefore we sort of when we opened up the shop we didn't really know what we were doing um we have sort of winged it if you like we've sort of taken every day as it comes we've learned from our mistakes um we've worked hard we've learned our numbers we've learned how to control and to build a business um but that's where businesses go wrong i say when i go out teaching um, you can be an absolutely fantastic hairdresser or fantastic barber does not mean you're you're meant to be a business owner. It does not mean you're going to be a great business person. And the reality is when you own a business, regardless of what trade you're in, you could be the best pizza maker in the world. You can be the best cake maker, maker. You can be the best plumber, builder, whatever it is that you do as a business. But if you do not have your numbers right, it's all going to go wrong, no matter what. If you are delivering a service and you could work 100 hours in a week, but if you're not charging the right amount of money in order to be able to cover your overheads, create profits, be able to invest in your business, be able to pay your taxes, um, you're going to go out of business. And we see this a lot in our industry. Um, a lot of 
a lot of barbershops and a lot of hair salons don't do things right. Um, and what that means is if they're not able to pay their taxes and they're not able to pay their bills because they're only charging five, six, seven, eight quid for a haircut, um, they, they go out of business because they simply cannot make enough money, even if they work every hour that God sends. Whereas when you are able to structure your business based on proper figures, proper numbers, um, you're able to to generate that profit, that, that wealth that you need within your business to be able to reinvest and to keep it going. I just listened to a couple of podcasts myself and one of the phrases was um, if you if you don't grow that you're essentially going to go out of business you know if you don't look to grow you're going to go out of business because in essence inflation occurs price rises happen if you're not making more money every single year year on year year on year you're going to essentially start to fall below that line and lose money and then your business is going to shut down so you need to always look to grow and uh, that comes from your numbers and that's where businesses go wrong they don't have the numbers right you you touched on um your business is almost going out of, out of business um almost yeah. collapsing um what mistakes did you make then and how did you manage to rectify them so we're going to go quite deep here now uh basically me and me and my missus um we between us we had six thousand pounds uh, she had a thousand pounds saved up and I had five grand left over from some inheritance money from my nan. Um, at the time, I didn't have really have a job when we were looking at opening the shop. I went and got a job in another barbershop um, about 10 miles away. And then this place became av available. But what happened is this place was up for 25 grand. We didn't have 25 grand, we had six. So what we did is we put the 6,000 pound down and we got a good uh, a goodwill agreement drawn up. And we had to pay that the rest of the money back, the £19,000 back over the year. And again, the numbers, the numbers is what, what essentially could have crippled us because we didn't take into consideration the amount of money that actually was, how much money extra a week we had to earn to be able to pay that back. We didn't, we didn't have forecasts set up. We didn't understand how much money we had to charge. We made the same critical mistake that a lot of other people did, which was charge a little bit less or a little bit more or a similar sort of price to what was going on in the area, you know? We didn't sit down and go, right, well, how much are our overheads? How many staff do we need in order to be able to satisfy the customers? How much should we charge based on that, you know? And, and sat down and actually, we never did that. So we took on this £19,000 worth of debt straight away. In our first year, we were VAT registered, meaning that we then had to find another £12,000 like that. Um, and that £19,000 and that £12,000, which essentially extra we had to find, it was impossible to do. So what we kept doing is we kept bouncing bills. We kept uh, spending money where it was critical, essential, our staff wages. Um, we accrued massive debts. Um, we worked hard and we've eventually been able to turn it all around. Um, and with the, the loans that we've got from uh, the government because of COVID and everything else, we're, we're set for life now. Like in my, in my opinion, like we've, we've We've got a reputation, we've got customers, we've got two beautiful shops, or soon to be beautiful shops. Um, we've got staff that are passionate about what they do. We've got juniors that are coming through. We've got uh, money set aside. We've got business structure in place. So we're starting at zero, but already with all the things that a good business has, you know, good staff, good structure, lots of customers, um, financially stable, but we're starting five years in, you know, so we've got the, the best of both worlds. Uh, we've learned from our mistakes. Everything now is structured down to two decimal places. Um, but we very nearly went out of business because we didn't manage our money. And that was 
that's the, the be all and end all of it, really. How old were you at that point? Uh, in terms of what, nearly going out of business? Yeah. Uh, this was three years ago, so I was 26. How did you, how did you feel at that point? Because you must have thought. Gutted. Yeah. Gutted. Because, because you know, for me, I'm, a, I, I'm very proud. I wear my pride on my sleeve. Um, I work hard. I know I work hard and, and I, I like to think that there's nobody going to work outwork me. You know, I'll work, I'll work hard, harder than anybody else that I know. And um, if somebody says to me, I'm going to do, I do 16 hour days, I'm going to do 18 hour days. You know, I, I get up at three o'clock in the morning to drive five hours to go and teach a course, teach a nine hour course and drive five hours back. Uh, in my opinion, I work harder than anybody I know. Um, probably wrong. There's probably someone that does work harder than me, but it's gutting because you put everything into your business. You work, we, we painted and renovated this shop as much as we could. We stood on the shop floor six days a week, grafting, um, working so hard. And then when you sort of, because you've not managed it right from the, the start and you start to watch it dwindle away, it's gutting because you're like, what did I do wrong? But you don't know at the time what you did wrong. It's only in hindsight you're able to figure out what you did wrong so you can adjust it and change it and move forward. But it's gutting because we worked so hard and it was like I was just watching my inheritance essentially uh, fade away. And it was gutting for me. But I was never going to let it beat us. And I was never, even even without support, without help, without the um, the realisation of what we had done, I would never have let it go. I would have worked, I would have worked until I was in the ground, you know. It, but it, yeah, no, it's gutting. You just have to work hard to, to rectify your mistakes, learn from your mistakes and move forward, don't you? But you've got to work hard on the right things, haven't you? 100%. 100%. So how do you how do you make sure that you're working hard on the right things? Because as you said, you know you're ignorant to the things that you don't know. How do you make sure you're working on the the things that you're supposed to be working on? I sit in there and I like to call it positive procrastination, right? <laughs> which, is sort, which is sort of a, a double-edged sword, really. But there were times where I was so worried about what was going to happen and. I'll sit up until one, two, three o'clock in the morning. Um, and sometimes I'll sit there and I'll worry about things. And sometimes I'll sit there and I'll be, I'll be active and I'll be working out numbers and I'll try and figure out things and I'll be updating the website. Um, but always thinking like, what can you do more to either at the time make more money or to alter a service to get more customers through the door or to in increase your marketing? So I call it positive procrastination. You, sometimes you just have to sit there and just have a bit of time to think about what you can do to make it better, you know? Um, working on the right things, again, my my top tip would be to make sure you've got your numbers right. If you get your numbers right, then, it, then the rest of it is easy. You know, Once you know exactly how much money you need to make, you can work on how to make it, you know? If you know that you can afford uh, a £3,000 marketing budget, you try and make every single penny work to its maximum. Um, as I said before, if you're charging too little, you can stand there and you can be working your ass off on the shop floor. And then at the end of the week, you go, well, I've not made enough money. Well, you're not made enough money because your business isn't set up correctly. But this happens all the time across loads of businesses. They don't charge enough money. They haven't got the numbers right. It ends up falling apart, even though they've worked, they've worked their asses off, you know, and you've got, you can't turn around at the end of the year or at the end of a, a month or a week and go, well, you know what? Well, I'm doing everything I can because the reality is you're not. If your business is failing, you're not doing everything you can. Even if that means you have to pivot and change the service that you deliver, 
um, you're not doing everything you can. You might be working hard, as you said there, working on the wrong, working on the wrong thing. You might be stood behind the chair cutting hair, but it, it's pointless if you're not going to be making the right amount of money at the end of it. So let's kind of talk a bit more about family. Um, you're obviously a very business, very very busy man. You've got a lot of things on. How do you manage to balance family time and bonding with your children and your wife? with the business and is there a way that you can draw the line between business and life because from what I know about you it's very difficult to do that no not at all um and I'll tell you how I balance my life uh, my missus balances my life for me because she will tell you uh probably in a negative manner that I, all I ever think about is my work all I ever think about is the business all I ever think about is is not money but making money um and that really I should be spending more time at home with the family, which is true. However, the difficulty that we have in our family is that me and my missus both own the business. We both work in the business. So when we go home, we can't turn it off. You know, if we're not working one day and something goes wrong in the shop, I, I have to cut my day off short to go and fix it. If, um, we, we were laying in bed one night and I'll get a call at three o'clock in the morning and the shop's been broken into. So we both have to get up, come down here, sort the shop out, do what we've got to do. Because when you own a business, it isn't just nine to five. You can't finish work and go home and sit around and watch Netflix or do whatever you want to do. Like you can get to that eventually later down the line, but it, it is 24 seven. We're the shop's open seven day a week. So I might not work on a Sunday and I have to go into that shop on a Sunday if somebody calls in sick. There's, there's no, everything falls on you. You are, you are the owner, you are the worker, you are the marketer, you are the accountant, you are everything within your business. You have to, you have to wear many hats and you have to do the job. So you can't, you can't just step away from it and go and have family time. As I said, I've not, not been on a holiday abroad. The most time we've had off is, is four or five days. Um, and even then I'm on the phone every day, making sure everything's running right. Um, making sure that money's being banked, you know, and, and running the business still, even though I'm not there. You can't take a step away from it, and it's impossible to do that, particularly when your shop's only a couple of years old or your business is only a couple of years old. You, that does have to be your focus because the reality of the situation is that if you don't earn money, you cannot feed your children. The money is, If the money isn't there, you can't put food on the table. You can't turn around and go, right, well, I'm going to have a few days off. I'm going to have a week or two weeks off because if the money isn't being made, how are you going to feed your kids? How are you going to pay your bills? You have to be on it all the time to make sure that's right. Um, the dream is to one day not have to do that and be able to spend all of the time in the world at home. Uh, and this is why the lockdowns were amazing for us because we were able to switch off. You know, in, in particular myself, I was able to just forget about the shops and spend time at home, have a lot of barbecues, spend time with the kids, you know, and it was amazing. It was amazing because we've never, ever had that. In terms of work-life balance, I don't think it exists. Not if you own a business. If you, if you maybe manage a shop, or if you are an employee in a shop, I think you can have a work-life balance. But if you've made the choice to invest into a business, to jump from leaving your job to work in the shop, uh, that is every, everything that you do in that shop is down to you. Everything that happens in here is down to us. Every penny that goes in that till is down to us if we're able to get the right staff, if we're able to train the staff right. It all falls on you. If something goes wrong, it falls on you. You are everything in about that business so work-life balance for me doesn't exist i would love to be able to just switch off go home um but you can't do that when you when you own a business it's impossible to do that 
and and that's just the reality of, of the life that I've chosen. If one day we get into a position where I don't have to come into the shop and I don't have to work um, ever again and I can spend all the time in the world at home with my family, then of course I'll do that. But I've chosen this life because I believe that this life will be able to give me um, better rewards than what it would be to work for somebody else. You know, if, if, if I wanted that work-life balance right now, then I would just work for somebody else because I could finish work at five o'clock and go home and I could have my weekends off a Saturday and Sunday off. How amazing is that? I've never had a Saturday and Sunday off until lockdown, you know? So it's it's tough, but it's the life that I've chosen and it's the life that me and my missus have chosen to to have. But you you really enjoy spending time with your family, as do does everybody, really. So Yeah, of course. It's it's a it's a big sacrifice, don't you think? Yeah, it is. But you know, the thing is for me, like Look, I'll go back to when I was a kid. When I was a kid, my parents split. I was 10 years old. Um, my dad was a very angry man. Uh, I witnessed a lot of things that not, not anybody should experience, you know. Um, but then you, you flip it on the head and say, well, I grew up in a nine-bedroom house, right, which is, is, is a nice experience, you know. Um, but I still went to school with holes in my shoes. Like, I would have to wait until next term to be able to get a pair of shoes for school. I used to share trainers with my dad. Um, I used to wear jack-ups because by the time that it had come round to getting my next pair of trousers, I'd grown a foot, you know, so my trousers were like that on my on my ankles. Um, so we lit, but we went on holiday every single year. So what, where where for me, I'd rather have not experienced the negativity in, in my parents' relationship um, and had that amazing life instead of having the nice house and the nice car where everybody looks at you and goes, well, you must be really rich, but no, you're not. You, we're like, we didn't live a luxurious life. We had nice things, but there was nothing special about my upbringing, you know? Um, I learned lessons from it. And for me, I would sacrifice all of this to spend every single day with my children. But I know that I want to be able to give them a better life than what I had. And my dad thought the same thing. You know, that he wants to give me a better life. And no doubt I had a better life than what he had. And I want to give my kids a better life than what I had. I want me and my missus to stay together forever, you know, as cheesy as that sounds, so that my kids have mum and a dad. It was the one thing that I, I envied and still envy more than anything else in the whole entire world is that my friends that have mum and, and dads together. It's the most amazing thing in the world to see a complete family. I always grew up in a broken home. I grew up in a, in a household which was at each, other's, at each other's necks all the time, fighting all the time. But then if, if I wanted something at the same time, I couldn't get that. So, you know, like they, they sacrificed everything for not a massive amount in the end. And it, it was a bit pointless. Whereas I see what my dad sort of wanted to build, what his vision was to, and my mum's vision was to own a business, to be able to give the kids everything, to be able to take them on holidays, to be able to give them the nicest shoes, to be able to um, be able to buy a car for them when they turn 17, you know? And I want all of that for my kids and more. So I'm trying to take what I had growing up and make it better. And that's that's as simple as that. I would love to I'd love to be able to spend every day at home with my kids, but it's not a reality anyway. Even if I wasn't doing this, I'd have to work nine to five. So I wouldn't be able to spend all the time in the world with them. You know, I might have to work weekends or evenings, depending on what job I'd have to do in order to be able to make enough money to be able to pay for my, the lifestyle I want. But I believe this life this lifestyle I have right now is a short term sacrifice for a long term gain. And in the future I'll be able to spend every single day with my kids and I'll be able to take them on all nice holidays and take them to Disneyland Paris every couple of years. You know what I mean? And that's the sort of vision that I have for, 
for my life is to be able to give my kids everything. So it's, so it's all in the interest of them, really, as opposed to you. Yeah, obviously I had a personal, like, win, you know, to be able to, I want to be able to wake up every morning and go, you know what, if I don't want to go to work today, I don't have to. That's, that's it. That is literally it, is I would love to be able to wake up every day and go, you know what, kids, do you want to go to Disneyland today? Yeah, let's go and jump on a plane and go to Disneyland. That's, that's it. That's, that's my vision and my dream. You know, I was naive and I used to think, oh, I want to be a millionaire, right? And I want to own a big house and I have uh, a supercar. Like all of these things that you dream of when you're a kid because you're naive. And I had that vision and that's what I wanted to be a millionaire. And as I got older, I realized that it's not about how much money you have. It's what you do with the money or you do with the time that is generated by the money. If you have money sat in the bank, you don't have to go to work. That's period. And you can spend the time with the kids and you can, you can go and enjoy um, these things and it create experiences and create memories. If you're in a scenario where you're working 24-7 and nothing is coming of it, then it's totally utterly pointless. But you have to have an ambition and have a dream. And for me, my dream is to be able to wake up and do whatever I want to do. Not be restricted to, I've got to go to work for this time. Not be restricted to, I've got to worry about how much money is in my bank because I've got to pay this bill. My dream is to be able to wake up every day and do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with who I want to do it. Do you think that, this is the age-old question, isn't it? Do you think that money can buy happiness? Yes. Right, and the reason why I think money can buy happiness is because if you have money, you can do whatever you want. It's not about buying happiness. It's about if you've got money, you can have time to spend with the people you love. If you've got money, you can, you can, you don't have to go to work or you don't have to do a job that you don't enjoy doing money. It's not so much that money can buy happiness. It's money can buy the time, which can make you happy. You know, if you, if you can go and earn, enough money to be able to subsidize your whole life and you never have to look at your bank account ever again but you can still go and buy whatever you want you're going to be happy it's as simple as that i guarantee it's only a short-term like happiness but if you're going to buy a really nice car and you've earned the money and you can comfortably buy that car you're going to be happy because you've got the car you want you know so you're going to be happy if you can wake up one day and you go right i don't have to go to work because i've got money sat in the bank i don't have to go to work i'm going to take my son theo to go and play football all day, or I'm going to take him to go and watch Man United, or I'm going to take him to go and do whatever I want to do that day with him because I've earned money, then of course it can buy happiness. I don't see why people say that money doesn't buy happiness because it does. Well, I think I think what they're trying to say is that, and what you kind of agree with is... I think the money is that you're looking doesn't make you happy. Well, yes, yeah, so it's not the money itself that makes you happy. No. I mean, you can get temporary pleasure from buying a nice car um but like you're saying the money gives you the freedom and that freedom to spend time with people that you love and to not have to do all these other things that you don't want to do to earn that money that's what makes you happy is that is that a good evaluation of what it's 100 it is it is simply it's time if you have the time to be able to time to yourself you don't have to dedicate to other people doing other things you don't want to do for me like the reality is if I can wake up and not have to come to work not have to, to drive half an hour down here, stand all day, cutting hair, go home, eat food, go to bed, get up and do the same thing over and over again, then I'm going to be happy that I don't have to do that. Irregardless of how much I love my job, I'm going to be happy that I don't have to do that. And I can pick and choose when I want to work, pick and choose when I want to do whatever, you know, 
it's the time and having money buys you time having money means that if it pays all your bills if you can if you can pay all your bills then you don't have to go out and do that thing so that frees up another nine hours of each day of your life so you can spend doing whatever else you want money does buy you happiness because it buys you time to be able to do other things you want to do you actually want to do that you enjoy doing you know so why why are there so many unhappy rich people okay so i think this is a difficult question i think i i i'm not going to say i fall into this category of being rich but i feel i fall into a category of insecurity and constantly trying to find a buzz or constantly trying to find and i think everybody has sort of an ambition or uh, a desire in their life or they have to fill a void of some description you know so i think that going out and buy like money doesn't make you happy right in the sense that like if you have lots of money in the bank that doesn't mean you're going to be happy some people crave the the thrill of making money and then if you'll always want to make more money even if you made a hundred thousand pound in your pocket at the end of a year you'll always want to make a hundred and ten thousand pound because that's what they crave some people like my missus for example doesn't care about money in any way shape or form if she didn't have any money but she could spend all every single living day with the children um pay for everything they want like and make them happy if she if they're happy she's happy you know and some people don't have that dream or ambition and i think a lot of people get it twisted between making money makes you happy which i don't think it necessarily does um it's not about the money making you happy it's about what you, you do with the money that can make you happy um in terms of unhappy millionaires i think that a lot of people are insecure a lot of people have holes in their life maybe um an abusive parent maybe a missing dad maybe they didn't grow up with a dad maybe they didn't um have a mum maybe they uh lived in poverty you know I don't I don't know I don't have the answer for that I don't I don't think that you can look inside and categorize unhappy millionaires as it's just because well why are they unhappy there's other things going on in life it's not all about the money you know perhaps perhaps if even if they weren't a millionaire they'd still be unhappy yeah 100% and I think that's the case yeah maybe um how do you think your childhood and your upbringing with um what you mentioned before with you know your parents not getting along and the the childhood that you lived how do you think that influenced who you are today um the negative impact on me is that uh i get quite angry um is that um i can be quite selfish sometimes because i sort of in a way had to fend for myself quite early on which meant i have to had to be selfish so i moved out of home when I was 14 turning 15 um initially I went and slept on my mate's floor on the mattress for a couple of months and then I moved in with my nan so I didn't live at home when I was younger uh I never really had financial support um from my parents from a young age so I've always had to be selfish and go out and earn my own money um but watching a lot of the aggression and anger and the fighting that I saw when I was younger negatively impacted me because I I become very angry and I'm very stressy and very short-tempered and I think you're you're a uh you're a result of your surroundings you're a result of the people that you are around whether that's when you were younger or when you get older if you hang around with people that aren't going to achieve anything then like me to say you're not going to achieve anything you know 
If you hang around with people that do drugs, it's likely that you're going to go and do drugs. If you hang around or you've grown up with an angry person in your life, it's likely you're going to be quite angry as well. And the moment you can take yourself away from that, the better. Uh, for me, I, I always try and look at the positives as opposed to this. The things that I learned from a very, very early age is that work ethic is, is critical. Being a winner is critical. Um, the, the mindset of going out and achieving something like there's positives that come out of it, not just negatives, but every day, everybody's got negatives. Everybody's got things in their life. Everybody's got things they could change, improve. And I work on the negatives every single day. Um, it's hard, but I do, but there's many, many positives that have come out of it. And if I hadn't have been raised in that way, um, from a positive perspective, we wouldn't have what we have now, you know, if we wouldn't have been able to build what we have now and have the relentlessness to, graft and work hard even though we were staring down the barrel of a gun and it was pretty much over you know so things Im impact you negatively and positively in your life and you've got to try and take the good you've got to try and work on the bad and you've got to try and become a better person at the end of it and that's what it comes down to being a better person but when you reach barriers when you reach things that well at least seem like barriers or seem like things that could be in your way how do you react to that we just got to get on with it. The reality of the situation is what are you going to do? If something's not going right, if something's not going according to plan, um, are you going to sit there and moan about it? Or are you going to figure it out? Are you going to figure a way out of it? Are you going to make it better? Are you going to work harder? Are you going to uh, improve the situation? Are you going to break down them barriers? Or are you going to sit and worry about it? Like, there's no point. Life is too short to sit there and worry about things. Life is too short to sit there and be unsure about things. The reality of the situation is you just have to keep working and you have to figure it out. You know, we've faced so many things. We've lost members of staff, uh, we've faced debt, we've faced uh, scenarios where we've been broken into, a lot of negativity, you know? Um, but the reality of the situation is, what can you do about it? You just have to get on with it. Because mm. I think, myself included sometimes you get to places where you're like what now and i guess maybe the best advice sometimes is just get on with it you know you're gonna face adversity in everything that you do i i say that a phrase that i've mixed from gary v again is that i'm a firefighter my job is to put out small fires i deal with different problems every day i almost now wake up every single day and go right what is going to go wrong today you know and something does happen every single day there's a problem every single day it might even be something very small like i've got to speak to my accountant about something that went wrong on the payslip last week or uh we get broken into or uh we've had a massive bill come out which wasn't expected and the money's not sat there so we've got to go right how are we going to make the money in order to pay this bill these things happen and when you sign up for life right this happens no matter whether you're in business or whether you're in your life at some point something is go wrong and what are you going to do? Are you going to sit there and worry about it? Or are you going to get on with it? And the prime example of this is my dad died when I was very young. My nan died when I was very young. My granddad died a few years ago. Um, and these things are, are terrible, life-changing experiences that, that shape you as a person. Um, but it's part of life. And these things, that's the ultimate sorrow. You know, that's the ultimate the worst thing that can happen in your life is you losing a loved one, um, particularly to something like cancer. 
which is mo like most of them have gone because of that or complications with that. The reality of the situation is that my life does continue and my life carries on. And I have my children to, to provide for and I have my children for them to look up to me, you know, and I've got to be strong and I've got to continue and I've got to keep doing what I'm doing so, so that my kids look at me as a strong person, a good role model, um, as opposed to getting pulled down by these things that happen. You're going to face adversity and it's the making of a man or making of a person in general is how you get over these these adversities. So you're still pretty young when it comes to barbering terms, you know, you're, what are you, late 20, 20s now? 20, 29, yeah. 29. What advice would you give to younger people like myself who are, you know, 18, 19, 20, something like that, um, who aren't sure what to follow, um, but want to do something, <laughs> want to be great, want to be the best? Um, firstly, follow a passion. Um, you don't know what is your passion until you try different things. I never knew that I was going to be a barber or a hairdresser. I tried it, found a love for it, and developed it into what it is now. But the reality of the situation is that the phrase is so true. If you do something you love, you'd never do a day's work in your life again. And it's true because for me, I've, I've cut hair since I was 13 years old and I've loved it and I still love it now and I still try to push myself to do a better haircut each time. But my advice to young lads and young girls out there is to follow a passion because particularly in today's modern age, you can make anything into a job. Um, I've got a young customer who actually suffers with quite a severe form of autism. Um, and he said to his dad, I'm never going to be able to have a job. And I said, well, of course you are. What, what is it you want to do? What is it you love doing? And he says, right, I, I love drawing. And in particular, I love anime and Pokemon. And I said, right, well, that's your job then. This is what you need to do in your life. Um, you need to start drawing. You need to start uploading pictures onto Instagram of your work. Maybe start creating animations in some form or another. Um, and this is a kid that is very uh, intelligent and very uh, creative, you know maybe not academically strong, but in terms of his passion, he's very good at it and he loves doing it. And I, I, I believe that if you follow your passion, you will make a career out of it in some capacity or another. Look at how many um, failed footballers you see become football coaches, you know? Look at how many um, failed dancers you see become dance coaches, you know? All of these sort of things, you can, you can create a career within that industry of something that you love, even though you might not have been the best at it at the time. Um, and try different things. Again, I never knew that I wanted to be a hairdresser or a barber. I tried it, loved it. Um, never knew that I could build websites. Never knew that I could do a lot of digital marketing, a lot of digital advertising. Tried it, learned it, become good at it. I could probably make a career out of it now. If I didn't cut hair, if I lost one of my arms one day, I'd probably set up a, a website or I'd probably build websites or I'd do digital marketing or something along them lines, you know? Um, try as many different things as you can and follow your passion because you can make a career out of anything you do hmm. that's uh i'll keep that in mind and hopefully the rest of the younger listeners will keep that in mind too um but you wouldn't so you would if somebody asked you what do you do for a living would you say you just cut hair or what would you say no. um i say now that i'm a business owner um i say that i'm an educator uh 
I don't really, I don't know, I don't know if I'd, I'd categorise myself into anything in particular. If, in terms of me, if I sort of look at what I do, I spend less time on the shop floor than I've ever spent. So, it, I wouldn't say that actually cutting hair is my main occupation now. Um, I do a lot of other things, I spend a lot of time in the office, marketing, um, doing a lot of consultancy for salons, uh, doing a lot of business coaching, um, doing obviously education, doing social media marketing courses. Like I do loads of different things. I've, I've put my hands to loads of different things um, and essentially added many strings to my bow. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily say I'm a barber or anything like that anymore. I'd say I own, I own businesses and, and I run businesses and I train people. Like that's what, that's what I do as, as an occupation. How did you learn a lot of these other skills? Um, because I had to. When I set up Mobile Barbering Academy, I had to figure out how I was going to be able to reach people and get people to come on my courses. I had to figure out how Instagram worked. I had to figure out how to build a website. Um, I had to figure out how to market myself. Then when we opened King and Captain, I had to do exactly the same thing. I then had to learn about money and how to manage money and how to uh, understand business. So I spent time watching YouTube videos, searching on Google, um, reading books, and that's how I learned these things. Um, and over time, just got better and better and better, and, and then been able to create two successful businesses, you know? And it's not easy, and it's, it's not the... But, you know, I'd rather do that as, as an entrepreneur. I'd rather build the website myself and save myself a couple of hundred pounds extra on the build and then the £50, £60, £70 a month maintenance fee and do it myself and learn how to do it myself. And the same thing with everything else, with marketing, with accountancy. I'd rather do it myself, learn it, and then maybe outsource it later down the line. But in, in the, the interim, in the, in the time being, you have to learn how to minimise your costs. You have to learn how to minimise your expenditure. And that is by then doing, doing these things yourself and learning how to do them well. Also, kind of comes back to the give a man a fish, you'll feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime thing. And yeah, if you, cut, if you cut one of my arms off and said you can never cut hair ever again, I'd be all right. Because I've, I've got other skills which I've acquired over the time. You can't put all your eggs in one basket. And, and COVID has taught us this. Um, I was speaking with one of my friends the other day. He owns a, like a nursery consultancy company. right? Very, very successful in what they do. But he said, he, what he's done is during COVID, he set up a, a candle making company, right? They make and sell candles. And, and even when you've got a company which is doing hundreds of thousands of pounds a year and you're successful and you're profitable and you're financially stable, something like this can destroy your whole business. And you have to be diverse in what, the way you earn money and the way you can earn money. You can't put all your eggs in one basket and just focus on one thing your whole life because if you do... If that gets taken away from you or that becomes obsolete because of technology developments or something along the lines, you need to be able to pivot um, and, and change what you do in order to be able to continue to grow, you know, or continue just basically to keep yourself above the breadline sometimes. Hmm. So how do, how do young people do this? Um, and how do we expand our skills in all sorts of different areas? So what I, what I would say is find, find your passion, find what you want to do as an occupation and do it for yourself. And when I say that, I don't mean set up your own business. I don't mean, um, I don't mean start something from scratch necessarily. There's nothing wrong with working for somebody, but do it for you because you want to do it. 
don't go just because your parents have said that you should go and do this at university or you should go and be this or your dad maybe maybe your dad not you per se but maybe your dad like um what happens with a lot of people throughout the uk and throughout the world is their dad wants to push their dream onto them and like i would love my son to become a footballer because that's what i wanted to do when i was a kid when i was a kid i wanted to be a footballer but if he came away one day and said dad i want to be a ballet dancer go for it son and i want you to be the best ballet dancer you can be and that that's the thing is like you need to find something that, which you love you do it for you you do it because you love it not because anybody else tells you it's the right thing to do when i dropped out of college i got called an idiot when i went to um one of my old bosses and said i think i'm going to teach people to cut hair and they turn around and say oh you you can't do that like yeah i can and you're not going to stop me nobody's going to stop me doing what i want to do nobody's going to stop me achieving what i want to achieve because it's what i want to do for me you know and being selfish in life is not a bad thing because you are born alone you die alone and in reality you could live your whole life alone you know there you don't have to interact with negative people you don't have to interact with somebody who's going to pull you down you don't have to do what anybody tells you to do you have to live a life which you're happy with which satisfies you and you need to surround yourself with people who bring a benefit to your life and i talk about this quite a lot when i'm out consulting it's like the people that you surround yourself with are who you end up becoming but not just that they have to contribute positively to your life it may be a case of um it may be a friendship benefit it may be a sexual benefit. It may be a financial benefit. It may be a relationship benefit. But every single person you have in your life has to benefit you in one way or another. Likewise, you have to bring benefits to their life. You have to bring value to their life. You, if you're surrounded... I used to hang out with people who would go out every weekend and they do a lot of drugs. Um, they'd go and, get at, go and get pissed up and spend all their money on a night out. And I ended up becoming one of these people. But since the age of 21... I haven't really been a drinker, a smoker. I haven't taken drugs. Like, I've never done any of that. I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't take drugs. You know, I'm the type, I'm very, I like to live a, a clean lifestyle, if you like. But it was, a, it was a conscious choice to make them movements away from these people because they were bringing me down. And it, I almost died one night because I, I went too crazy on a night out. Um, and that was a big wake-up call. And that changed my whole perspective on everything. And that's when NBA really took off because instead of going out and spending money on nights out, I got my head down and started working. And that helped to create something for me, you know, and push my life in a different direction. So if for youngsters, the way you can do it is by doing what you want to do for you. Not in a way where you're going to have a detri detrimental impact on the relationship you have with parents or with your friends or anything like that. But you have to do your, what you want to do for you in your life because it's your life and nobody else can tell you how to live it. Mm. I mean, you've reiterated multiple times how important it is to have good company. You are the company that you keep and so on and so on. But then how do you end up finding like-minded people? Because when you were in that situation where you had, you know, probably your childhood friends, I'm guessing, or people that you'd always yeah. hung around with um, and you, and you got out of there, how did you find people? How did you find like-minded people to kind of share your dream with and bounce off? When I took myself away from the negative people in my life, um, I instantly found other people that were positive for me because I was focusing my time in to hair, the hair industry, education. And therefore, I met people who were like-minded, you know, who were in that industry. 
I wouldn't, I would never say that I've gone out looking for friends. I don't have many friends now. I've, I'm not going to say that I have a load of friends and I barely speak to anybody from my school. I've probably got three or four people that I interact with from school. Um, I barely speak to any negative people in my life and um, the people that would bring me down back in the day. Um, I don't talk to any of them. And I met my missus and I created something for me and her, you know, and, and then for our kids. It's, I took myself away from the negative people and I seem to find more positivity, you know? Hmm. Like, it's almost as if like the universe just kind of went in your favour and gave you all them people that you're looking for. Yeah, but it, it's hard work as well. It's not yeah. like, you've got, you've got to make the right choices. You've got to make the right choices in life. I could have easily carried on drinking, smoking, doing drugs, spending money on nights out, like doing, doing stupid things, getting in trouble with police. Um, but I made a choice and it was a, it was a wake up call because it was one night where it was the worst, literally the worst night of my life and I genuinely could have died. Um, and it was like the next day I was like, I'm never ever doing that again. Simple. And I made that choice there and then I'm never doing it again. And I didn't do it again. And therefore my whole life started to change. I focused on positive things. I focused on business and then I focused on uh, just my life, you know, and me being me doing things I want to do and not being influenced by the wrong people in terms of trying to find positive people i don't think you go out looking for people i think you it depends where you go if for me i've met a lot of people and i've networked at events because i've gone to that event to showcase what i can do then people have come to my, my stand where i'm demonstrating or uh when i, when I did a bit of work for a scissor company they come to the stand they talk to me would interact with would swap contact details would chat I'd advise them and maybe go and teach a course with them. And now I'm good friends with them. There's a lad that I talk to a lot. His name's Liam. Um, he's a very good lad. He started off with one of my clients. And now we're mates and I talk to him about many things. And you sort of, you find your way in life, you know, but you've got to make the right decisions to be able to find that right path. Mm -hmm. So before we wrap it up, I'll do a few quick fire questions. I mean, they don't have to yeah, be too on. quick fire, but um, try not to have them as long as before. First of all, what do you think it is? I mean, I probably already know the answer to this one, but what do you think it is that sets you apart from everybody else? Work ethic. That's it? That's it. Work ethic. That I wake up to go and teach a course and I leave my house at three o'clock in the morning. I'll drive to that course. I'll deliver a nine hour course and I'll drive home. And I'll do that two or three times a week if I have to. And I will then go to work four or five times a week and I'll work seven days a week for... 30 weeks straight if i have to if i have to do that that's what i'm going to do and nothing is going to stop me from doing that work ethic when people are sleeping i'll be working and whether that's up at two o'clock in the morning or whether that's getting up at three o'clock in the morning teaching the course so work ethic hmm. what's the again we've already touched on a few of these but what's the dream then to never have to work again yeah to wake up and do what i want to do doesn't doesn't necessarily mean work if i want to go to work i can go to work yeah. But to wake up and do what I want to do every day. You'll probably recognise this um, <clears throat> this question. Have you watched? Have you, um, you've seen how I built this, haven't you? Yeah. Um, you've been very successful. You know, you've built multiple businesses. You've gone through hardship, and you're still really young. You know, you're 29 years old. That's that's not very old. How much of that do you think is down to your hard work, and how how much of it do you think is just down to chance? Nothing's down to chance. I don't, I don't believe in luck as such. 
I don't. I think you you make your own luck in the sense that you put yourself in the right positions to meet the right people, to get the right opportunities. But it's you don't you don't get lucky, you know. Maybe if you win the lottery, yeah, you get you've got lucky. But you don't get lucky. You've got to put yourself in them positions. So I don't think any of what we have now is down to chance or down to luck. It's down to working hard, um, and it's down to a relentless attitude to not give up. You know, to to be relentless in. My, my ambition in our ambition of where we're going to go and the final question if you had a microphone and you're in front of the whole world everybody and they could understand your language what would be your message to them do what you love because if you do what you love you never do another day's work in your life that's it that's it awesome well Thank you very much for coming on the show, Jack. If people want to find your work or your barbershops or whatever, where can they go? Um, the best place would be on Facebook to go to King and Captain Barbershop or to go to Mobile Barbering Academy.